Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 1, Episode 2, Ancient Rome. Hey everyone, good to be back with you again. My name's Pastor Steve Treichler. Welcome to our second episode of our new podcast called Romans Untangled, where we are really looking at the book of Romans in the scriptures and unpacking it so we can all understand it. If, if you're brand new with us, I just encourage you to go ahead and go back and listen to that first um, podcast because we are looking at and that one at the Apostle Paul, who he was, what were his motivations in writing, what were some of the significant life events. This week... We're going to explore what the recipients of this letter, the first century Roman church, what it looked like and what were some of the unique things they were going through. Before we do that, though, I have a couple things I want to first talk about. When you are going through a book of scripture, especially when a book of scripture is quite complicated in nature, like Romans is, a good a good guide, a good commentary is a good thing. And believe me, Romans is not short of commentaries, many of which are just excellent. I want to I want to give you uh, a few that have kind of become some of my favorite, my go tos. Uh, and in a good commentary, what they do is they give you all the options and things you can look at, what people have thought over the years. And I think these two are the best at doing that. First one, I'm going to give a little shout out to my old. Uh, seminary advisor, Tom Schreiner. Uh, Tom was teaching at that time at Bethel Theological Seminary when I got my degree. Uh, And then uh, he moved down to uh, Southern uh, Seminary uh, down in Louisville. And Tom has written two commentaries on it. Actually, it's one commentary, but has a second edition on the Book of Romans. I highly recommend that one. Uh, Probably though, my favorite of all of them are the commentaries written by Douglas Moo. Douglas Moo is probably one of the foremost scholars in the book of Romans. Uh, He's written three commentaries. He's written a a very small one, a medium-sized one, and a large one. And if you took anatomy and you remember gluteus, maximus, medius, and minimus, I affectionately call these uh, Moo, maximus Moo, medius Moo, and minimus Moo. Uh, Maximus Moo is probably my favorite commentary out there. It's a thousand pages long. It's it's written by the New International Commentary on the New Testament. It's got a red cover. Excellent, excellent commentary. Very in depth, um, but it's very readable as well. Uh, I, I will be referring to that from time to time. Uh, Medius Moo is in the NIV application commentary series. It's also done very well. It's not as scholarly, and he doesn't go over as many options for different uh, interpretations and different thoughts regarding Romans. And then the the small one is one that I actually would encourage everyone to purchase. It's called Encountering the Book of Romans. It's written by Douglas Moo. There are two editions to it. The new one has a yellowish cover. Um, there isn't there is an orange, red, or green on it. You can see when you go to Amazon, Encountering the Book of Romans by Douglas Moo. Uh, just a fantastic commentary. Just a good thing to kind of help you go. Now, that one, of course, will not give you all the options. It's very short. I probably think it's like 150 pages. It's very readable. It's a good introduction. Very good. Uh, like all commentaries, though, over the years, you're going to agree with certain parts and disagree with others. And so, um, But these ones I find to be really, really well done. Now, let's just talk about the nature of what Romans is. The book of Romans, we call it the book of Romans, but of course, it was a letter. It was an ancient letter, and and uh, they call these in Scripture epistles. It's just a, another word for letter. 
And it was, if you think about it, this is, you know, written 1500 years or so before the printing press came out. Books were few and far between at this time. And so letters were the main way of non-personal communication. You, you sent a letter uh, or you gave a message to a messenger and they went and told people. So letters were huge. Uh, in fact, they, they really are huge in our culture up until electronics, uh, probably 40 years ago. And so what's happening in this letter we have, because it's an ancient letter and because there's a lot going on, we can learn much of what is taking place. Now, let's just think about the nature of a letter here. For if you, I assume you've still gotten some personal letters, even though I know it's becoming a, a dying trend. And so you have a letter and the letter is written, let's just say it's an interpersonal letter between two people. You have person A who wrote the letter and you have Person B, the recipient of the letter, right? And the letter is the content of what the message that's trying to be given, okay? So there's three things that we have to focus in on in, in, in order to understand this letter. Let's just say this letter was written, oh, I'm making this up, let's say 100, 150 years ago. So person A and person B are no longer living. So what do we have to do? Uh, that we that um, in order to understand this better, well, there's there's three things that I would uh, assume. We have to know as much as we can about the times. What was life like, you know, 100, 150 years ago when this letter was written? Then we need to know as much as possible about the two parties, right? Person A and Person B. Let's learn as much as we can about them, and specifically, what are they going through at the time of this letter. And then we need to know what the words mean. Now, that may sound silly if you're thinking about uh, reading a letter. Uh, maybe the letter was written in uh, 1840, which would be roughly 170 years ago now. Uh, but but the, even English has changed over the time. And so we need to understand what those words mean, uh, what they meant at the time, and what the meaning for them would be today. And that's where a good commentary comes in because they'll give you help you with some of the meanings of the words. So what we're going to do this week is we are going to look at the recipients. If last week we looked at Paul, who was the author of the letter, person A, this week we're going to try to look at the, the, the recipients or the people of Rome, the church in Rome, B, and as much as we can know about the times and things that are happening. Uh, biblical scholars call that the occasion. Just think of someone who makes you a nice dinner and you walk in and you say, what's the occasion? What's the times? Why are, why are you doing this, right? And that's what we're doing. Now, let's uh, learn about this uh, by doing this, by looking at three things today. First, I want to look at what's just in the Bible. What's in the Bible that can teach us about what, what's, you know, who are these people in Rome and, and uh, what, what was going on and as much as we can. Two, we want to learn what church tradition has told us, some of the things that are historic uh, or, or people have been passed down through the years about some of the things that were going on. And three, just what was the history telling us of this time in the Roman Empire? Okay. So uh, let's take those one at a time. First, let's just go to the Bible. And that's, uh, we're studying the Bible here. So we want to focus in on that. That's not to say the other two are unimportant, but really we want to let the scriptures teach us what, what they're going to try to teach us. So let's just first start in the book of Romans and see what's there. So if you have a Bible with you, open it up to Romans 1. We're going to look at verse 7 first. And this is just where, 
The Apostle Paul in his introduction, which we'll go into next week, says, to all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his holy people. Okay? So obviously he's he's speaking there to the church, the people in Rome, in that city, and uh, he is writing to them. Now, let's go down a little further in the book. Just I'm going to skim here a little bit. So look at the next couple paragraphs if you're looking in the book of Romans. And it says, first, this is verse eight now, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. All right, so let's just make observations there that this Roman church was influential. It was large enough where there was enough people so that what they were, their faith and, and, and their trust in God was actually influencing others around the world. Uh, we'll talk a little more about why Rome is so influential in, in a little bit, okay? If you skip down to verse 13, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now. The Apostle Paul, for the best that we know, at least scripturally and even in church tradition, uh, we do not think that he was the original starter of the church in Rome. In fact, uh, we don't even think he made it to Rome until after this letter uh, was written. So Paul was never there at this time. And he said, I want you to know I was trying to get there. Okay. Now, this is kind of strange. But in the book of Romans, once we get to verse, uh, really, really, once we get to verse eight, uh, uh, it's going to start shifting into some of the personal things he's saying. But especially when we get into later on in the book, um, it, it, it really doesn't refer to anything personal to the Romans until the end of the book, which is a rather strange thing. Okay, so I want you just, if you have a, a Bible with you, go to chapter 15. So we're skipping a whole bunch here. I want you to look at chapter 15. And I'm just going to I'm going to highlight a few things here on the from from chapter 15, the first first all the way to the end of the book. I'm going to highlight a few things, okay? So, verse 14. He says, "I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So what's he saying here? He's saying, I am, I'm confident in you. you. You're doing very well. But he also says, listen, I've written you quite boldly. In other words, I've written you some really hard stuff that you've got to really think about because uh, the God has given me this grace. God has given me this gospel to share and primarily because I want to share it with Gentiles. That is going to be a key to this book. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that here in just a little bit. Okay, this huge thing about Gentiles. Now, if you don't know what a Gentile is, there are Jewish people and then everybody else. Gentiles, the word actually means the nations. And so it's just the nations. You got the Israel nation, the Jewish people, and then everybody else. Okay, and we'll spend a lot of time unpacking that. So I'm not gonna do it now, but that's a big thing about this. And then he goes on in the middle of verse 19. So he says, so from Jerusalem, all the way to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Okay? 
And then he says in verse 22, that is why I've often been hindered from coming to you. In other words, in Rome, there was already a gospel proclamation there. It's always been my mission to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So then he goes on to say, but now there is no more place for me to do to work in these regions. And since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. So here we see in, in Romans chapter 15 that you are now seeing Paul move on to other areas because the gospel is spreading in places. And, and, and I know it's like not huge numerically yet, but it is reaching centers of commerce and centers of trade in the known world at that time. So he's now going to be on his way to Spain. And as he's going to do that, he's going to do so and come to Rome. Then he says, if you look at verse 26 of uh, chapter 15, it says, For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. And then he goes on to to describe that. So what's happening here is he is asking them for money to help the people in Jerusalem because there's a famine there. And he's collecting money uh, from the church to help this need in Jerusalem. And so it's somewhat, the book of Romans is somewhat of a fundraising letter. Uh, admittedly speaking, he he spends very little very little ink in that, but he is going to uh, dialogue about that. Okay, now if you skip down to chapter sixteen, now and I'm just going to make a few quick comments about what's happening here. He says to you in verse one, he says, "I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Kenkere. I believe that's how you pronounce it. Okay, so. <clears throat> What this, he says, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a manner worthy of his people. So in other words, Phoebe is coming. Most people believe that she's the one who delivered this letter, that the apostle Paul wrote it and he gave it to this this woman, Phoebe, and Phoebe brought it to the church in Rome. And Paul is saying in the letter, it's kind of awkward that it's all the way in verse chapter 16 because uh, she's, you know, it's a long letter and, and it's, <laughs> it won't be happen that they receive her until he gets there, until they get to that place. But that's what he says here. And then the interesting thing happens where you see the Apostle Paul list a whole bunch of people, a whole bunch of people that he says to greet. Greet these people so on and so on. He has a whole list of them, all the way from verse 3, all the way down to verse 15. He lists, I haven't counted them, but there, there's a lot of folks, okay? Now, we'll come back to this. How, how could the Apostle Paul know all these people? <laughs> how, how could the Apostle Paul know all these people if he's never been to Rome? Well, what is going on there? We'll come back to that in just a moment. Go down to verse 22 of chapter 16. I know this is kind of strange again. We're just starting the book. We're the last few verses of it. And it says this, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So the apostle Paul dictated the letter, but a man by the name of Tertius was the one who actually wrote it down. Okay. Then the letter goes on to say, Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Now that is a huge piece to the puzzle. This man by the name of Gaius is where Paul is staying when he writes this letter. That little verse 
Romans 16 verse 23 opens up for us what time this letter was written. Because if you go over to the book book of 1 Corinthians, it says in 1 Corinthians that uh, the apostle Paul was there in Corinth and he mentions a man by the name of Gaius. He mentions baptizing this guy, okay? So what this leans in on, and we can learn from this, is that puts this particular letter writing at the time that he was in Corinth. Now, now we move to church tradition. Uh, If we look at the book of Acts, it shows us that Paul had they call them four missionary journeys, really three missionary journeys, and then one where he went to Jerusalem, got arrested, and was taken by the authorities to Rome. And he went several different places along the way in the book of Acts. This is during the third missionary journey of the apostle Paul. And it is when he is in Corinth and he stays there for quite a while, 18 months, right? And so uh, it's during that time that he writes also the people of Rome, even though he's starting this church in the... Uh, city of Corinth. That puts the date somewhere, and scholars are, you know, it's it's little debated, but relatively close. Somewhere between 55 and 57 AD was when Paul was in Corinth. Now, how did the, uh, the church get started in Rome? We don't know for sure. It seems, though, if you look at historic writings, that Peter was influential in starting the church. Most people now think that it's because of Peter's preaching in Jerusalem, even during Pentecost, if you go to Acts chapter two, there's all these nations there that people went back to their home and the preaching of Peter helped start this church. So some would say that Peter actually traveled to Rome. There's not a whole lot of evidence for that. It might have happened. Not sure. That's uh, if you grew up Catholic, that you 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 maybe been to uh, the the basilica there, and and uh, uh, that's that's uh, Peter's you know basilica, and uh, and that's possible. It's possible that that he was there, but we don't really have great historical writings about that. Now, let's talk a little bit about Rome. Just from history. Now, of course, the Roman Empire is one of history's most fascinating studies, right? It's this huge empire. It is so widely debated what the population was, anywhere from a few million up to a hundred million. And when I'm talking about that's not just the city, but the entire vast domain. It goes all the way from what we now would, would be Great Britain to Germany all the way over to uh, Iran, uh, and and then south down to about where Egypt is. I mean, there have been few empires in the history of the world that have been as big as the Roman Empire. And how big was the city of Rome? That's another very debated, but it was the main city. It's where the seat of government was. It was the capital city, so to speak. And there's a phrase that they use because the Romans had made a great travel system that if you just get on any road and just keep following it, all roads lead to Rome. 
In other words, that was a way of saying it was the center of the political, the power, the uh, the capital, um, trade, everything went through Rome. Intellectuals, everything kind of came in and out of Rome. That was hugely important, okay? And so that's how, as a result, there would be people just as in uh, if you happen to be live in a uh, smaller rural community, that people often move from smaller communities to larger ones or even to bigger cities. Uh, we live here in Minneapolis, and a lot of people that I know from, uh, we call it outstate Minnesota, you're, you're not in the, and I grew up in outstate Minnesota, but they would move to what we call the cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul, just kind of a, a lot of people do that. That was what happened to Rome a lot. People moved there, okay? So, now, there's one other historical fact uh, that I want to uh, give to you that I think is very important as we look at this. I'm going to read you a quote from uh, Douglas Moo's commentary, The Encountering the Book of Romans, uh, Theological Survey, it's called. I want to quote read this from there. So I'm reading now. Quote, If the question of Jew and Gentile in the Messianic people of God was being asked broadly in the early church, there were special reasons why Roman Christians might have been particularly interested in the matter. The best evidence we have suggests that the church in Rome was founded by Jews and was dominated by Jews for its first two decades. But that situation would have suddenly and dramatically changed in AD 49. In that year, the Roman Emperor Claudius expelled all Jews from Rome. And then he has a footnote here, which just says, you can see that in the book of Acts, Acts 18, chapter two, or excuse me, chapter 18, verse two. A Roman historian tells us he did so because the Jews were fighting over Crestos, C-H-R-E-S-T-O-S, which is almost a certainly a, a, a misspelling or corruption of the name Christos, which is the Greek word for Christ. At one fell swoop, therefore, all the Jews in the Roman Christian community were forced to leave the city. All that were left were Gentiles, who naturally took over positions of leadership in the community. By the, ta by the time Paul wrote Romans, probably AD 57, the Roman authorities had tactically allowed Jews back into the city. But the Jewish Christians returned to a church that, in their absence, had become a largely Gentile institution. The situation was ripe for social tension. We can imagine the now dominant Gentiles moving further and further away from what they might perceive to be foolish remnants of Judaism, such as rules about food and holy days, while the returning Jewish Christians, keenly sensitive of their minority status, insist even more strongly on adherence to their ancestral customs. This is exactly the situation that Paul's warning to the weak and the strong in Romans chapters 14 and 15 presuppose. The point then is that the situation of the Roman church was a microcosm of the social and theological tensions that existed throughout the early church, unquote. What they're saying here is the church if you remember, if you're at all familiar with the, the Bible and the book of Acts, that the, it starts, Christianity begins with Jewish people and it spreads then to, to non-Jewish people, the Gentiles. And there's racial tension between the two, extreme racial tension. And the Jews are expelled from Rome and so now the Gentiles are running the church. The Jews are allowed back in. And when Paul writes this letter, there's tension there. 
That's a key thing about what's Paul speaking into. So there's a lot more we're going to dive into. There's a lot more. Uh, but I want to propose to you and help you a little bit to see what are the reasons? What, what's the, what was Paul's objectives when he wrote this book? And I'm going to give you five. Okay. First, Paul wanted to write down and to pass on the fullness of the gospel message to the people of Rome. It, it is often called Paul's magnum opus. If you're familiar with that term, it just means his grand, beautiful opera or, or, or you know, his, his uh, uh, beautiful piece of, of work that he has painted. It's his magnum opus. It's the beautiful message of the gospel in its fullness. Secondly, simply, of course, it was he was telling them he was coming and he was raising support uh, financially for his church planting trip to Spain and for his bringing money to uh, the people of uh, Jerusalem. Third thing, he says this in the beginning. We'll look at this next week. He'll talk about giving them spiritual encouragement. Now, (laughs) I can't help but think about how much spiritual encouragement the Apostle Paul has given to thousands upon thousands, perhaps even millions of people by the writing of this letter. Of course, God is to be given the glory for what he did through the Apostle Paul to write this letter. But so many people have been blessed, myself included. I hope you now too, as you start to dive into the book of Romans, that we're getting this spiritual encouragement. Number four, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is dealing with with the question of Jewish and Gentile relationships. And what he has to do in order to help that is to to unpack the storyline of the whole Bible, the whole Bible and how it fits together. And as a result, he's completing or he's unpacking the storyline of Scripture and how it finds its fulfillment in Jesus Christ and how that all works together so that these people can look at themselves as one and not as two different nations, two different types of people, but they're one person, one church, one faith. Uh, And so as a result, what he does in the book of Romans is he unpacks that in such a way that it allows us to look at this book and to get an understanding of the whole of Scripture. In a lot of ways, I know a lot of people hang on to the book of Romans until quite later in their spiritual development. A lot of ways, I think we should start here because it helps you understand the book from Genesis all the way to Revelation. He's, He's unpacking the story the way it unfolds, and it is a beautiful thing. Fifth and last thing, and, and of course there's more, but these are the ones that I think are, are most important. What, what does it look like for the person who is, understands the story, understands who Christ is, has, has taken them personally as Savior and as Lord, and now wants to live in this community for wars? There's both going to be Jews and Gentiles. They're going to live together. They're going to work together. They're going to worship together. They're going to, do, going, to, they're going to do life in community together. What does that look like to walk with Jesus in that day and age in that context and also in an extremely hostile time with the culture at large? Being a Christian in the first century was hazardous to your health, culturally speaking. 
So what does it look like to be a follower of Jesus in a Roman culture? Now, that those translate to us. Of course, we're not the first century Romans. Of course, we're not in that camp exactly. Um, and, and some of us uh, don't really view the Jew and Gentile issue in our churches as really a big deal. But I'm telling you, this book applies to us incredibly today along those lines. I am thrilled the book of Romans is in the Bible. We get to see a great picture of the gospel that is radically different than the way our society thinks, as well as the way many of us have understood religion or even what Christianity really is. The gospel is a a new way to understand really living life. I am pumped to dive into this letter with you next week. We're going to actually get into the opening sentence, and it's a long one. It's from Romans 1.1 to 1.7. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week on Romans Untangled.